Hey everyone, thanks for joining us today on the Climate Ready Podcast. This is Alex Maroner alongside my colleague and co-host Aaron Gooch. Hi everyone. We've got another great episode ahead of us. Today we wanted to spend some time talking about an issue that plagues water managers and decision makers, or really anyone that's trying to make long-term plans. That topic is uncertainty. How do we make long-term decisions about specific projects given deep uncertainty about the future of climate impacts in particular places? And when we're talking about water infrastructure with long operational lifetimes, how do we make resilient plans, keeping in mind that a number of different strategies can be successful depending on how the future plays out? Can we maximize flexibility while still minimizing risk? By the end of the episode, you won't be able to see into the future, but you may be able to know what it takes to set yourself up for success, how to make robust and flexible plans. We'll spend most of our time hearing from an expert in the field of decision-making under uncertainty, discussing a planning framework known as adaptation pathways. This approach helps its users, typically water managers, to envision how sequences of decisions can be navigated over time. You'll want to stick around to find out more. The Climate Ready podcast is made possible by funding from the World Bank Group. For more on the World Bank and its role in supporting climate adaptation efforts, visit www.worldbank.org. We have another exciting guest with us today. She's a thought leader and expert in water management planning and decision-making under uncertainty. Dr. Marjolein Hosnote is a researcher and water management planning expert at Deltares, which is based in the Netherlands. She is also a postdoctoral researcher at TU Delft. Marjolein, thanks for stopping by the show to spend some time talking with us. Hi, thanks for having me. How long have you been working on water as a field of interest? For 20 years or so now. I started with the, the Dutch government and then I moved to this um, to research institute, uh, which is now called Deltares. And uh, since then, I've, since two years, I've been partly affiliated to the Delft University as well. How did you initially become interested in this relationship between climate change and water as being a thread or opportunity for work? I guess I've always been interested since I was very little in in the environment and in water. I lived along aside the water and I, I played a lot with the water. And when I started to work for the government, one of my uh, projects, or actually my main project, was about impacts of climate change. And uh, yeah, th- this was a nice opportunity uh, to start. And I used national hydrological models to simulate impacts of climate change uh, scenarios. That was late 90s. And these were one of the first nationwide studies in the Netherlands yeah, to look at impacts of climate change. So we started mainly with impacts and later we moved towards uh, adaptation measures. Moving from impacts towards adaptation, what are, what are some of the gaps that you see in, in the knowledge and climate adaptation or, or in planning strategies that you're trying to fill? Well, at the moment, I think we are still struggling with adap- uh, adaptation over time. So still a lot of adaptation studies are static. I think we are now in a paradigm that we, we kind of moved uh, exploring much more uncertainties and scenarios 
and then we included this time component both in the scenarios and both in the adaptation measures. And although uh, we are working on that already for, I don't know, almost 10 years or so, it's still uh, very new. Uh, we, we kind of started with research and it's now applied in practice in several countries. But still it's quite uh, limited considering the large especially coastal areas that uh, have to adapt to uh, climate change. Your work is, to a certain extent, developing future robust water policies. Your main focus is facing and addressing uncertainty. And as if that's not daunting enough, we also hear about the concept of deep uncertainty. Can you tell us what is meant by that? But I think that traditional uh, definition is the deep uncertainties are these uncertainties where you cannot address uh, probabilities to these uncertainties, where there's a wide range of possibilities, uh, where people do not agree upon how the system uh, works. So there's also this disagreement between different, for example, researchers on on uh, what to expect from the from the system. It's about environmental conditions, but also about different values of people. So it's the uncertainties where we can. Um, and there's disagreement about the knowledge. These uncertainties also evolve over time in interaction, for example, with uh, the environment and, and decision-making. The Netherlands is at the forefront of a lot of these kind of these new decision-making methodologies because they've been essentially a pilot project for two or three hundred years um, and, and proving that they're successful. How has water management maybe evolved over time or what are some lessons you've learned from uh, some of the approaches that have been implemented in the Netherlands. We can take the experience where we, well, traditionally people kind of were quite uh, reactive. Uh, After an event, we said this should never happen again. So levies were raised considering the last event and a little bit higher to that. So that was quite looking at the past. And then we shifted towards more uh, yeah, forward-looking uh, uh, management studies. And in initially, these were um, a limited amount of uh, futures that were considered. And over time, the amount of futures that were considered uh, f- for the design of, of uh, management options was larger. So a broader range of uncertainties was considered with much more drivers. So not only sea level rise, for example. But later, this was also uh, broadened to more socioeconomic uncertainties and then also climate change. So it's a much more uncertainties, but also a wider range of these uncertainties. I wanted to pause here and take a minute to reflect back on what we just heard. I think this change that Marilyn mentions, this opening up to multiple possible futures, is a huge step forward. It's basically acknowledging the fact that we don't have all the answers right now. We need to think about how the system would react to the multitude of paths our climate could take down the road. This idea is really the basic premise of adaptive planning, and as you'll hear in just a minute, the concept of adaptation pathways. From here we begin to learn more about a shift to what we refer to as bottom-up approaches to climate adaptation. It was around 2006 where we kind of looked for a scenario-neutral approach. And this was the beginning of these more bottom-up uh, adaptation uh, approaches, where uh, instead of using the, the climate scenarios as a starting point, we wanted to have an approach that was 
less dependent on the scenarios. So there was a lot of discussion on, on yeah, how can we become less dependent on these stupid researchers that come up with new scenarios each time. So this is when we came up with this approach, this bottom-up approach. Under what conditions does the system fail? And if we know these conditions, then we can re relate that to the scenarios. And then if researchers come up with new scenarios, we only have to address the timing of the adaptation options and not redo the whole study. That was the beginning of an approach what we call adaptive delta management. Within this approach, you, uh, lo you look at the kind of what we call adaptation tipping points, conditions under which the system fails. And after that condition, you need to address, uh, you need to take other measures. So that's where you have the sequence of measures. And that's exploring different uh, adaptation options over time is a core of this adaptive uh, delta management. Your work isn't necessarily restricted to a particular country or setting. Do you have any stories about some places where you've implemented these approaches? We've done some studies in uh, Bangladesh where we uh, worked on the, well, we helped the uh, Bangladesh government uh, with developing uh, a nationwide uh, Delta plan. It's quite different context and different setting, and it's much more challenging than, than the Netherlands because it's such a dynamic Delta in the sense of uh, the, the, the uh, environmental and the physical conditions, but also uh, and the, the people that live there are much more uh, used to these uh, dynamics and uh, much more uh, migration. This approach you've developed, Adaptation Pathways, helps people decide what actions to take now versus what actions to take later. If you're planning a journey into the future with multiple possible routes, how do you decide which route to take and also when to switch to an alternate route? I don't think you can decide beforehand what uh, route to take. But at least you can explore these different uh, routes and you can evaluate them beforehand, like the, on their performance, whether you achieve your objectives, uh, the costs. And from there, you can decide what are the most robust and flexible uh, actions that you can take now. A kind of underway towards the future, you monitor, you learn, and you implement your kind of preferred actions of, of the preferred route, but it might also turn out that uh, you decided on a preferred route and th this route uh, doesn't seem to be perfect uh, after all, and you need to, to switch to some of the, the other routes. Do you have any other maybe short real-world examples of possible alternate actions or tipping points? Like I know there is the example in a video you made prior about I guess for, for locks and dams, if, if the water is getting lower, do you need to, one set of actions is to dredge the river, one set of actions is to, to make smaller boats that can, that can make it through these locks, and you can kind of switch between the two. Do you have any, I guess, examples kind of, kind of like that? Yeah, there's, there's several examples for flood risk. We explored some pathways and raising uh, the levees to different design conditions. So that's kind of a pathway by raising, raising the levees, uh, but at some point this might be uh, too much and then the levees might be too high and that may be unacceptable for society. So and then at that time you might want to switch to 
an action that provides more room for the river, for example, with yeah, a side channel that can uh, divert the water in case of uh, high river flows. Adaptation Pathways helps planners avoid locking in on a single strategy for these investments in infrastructure with really long lifetimes in some cases, making staged decision plans. In a way, you're helping people navigate through time instead of space. I wonder, though, whether or not these ideas are really specific to just water management, or do you think they go beyond water? Well, my focus is on water management, but I, I have received quite some uh, attention for also other policy domains that expressed their interest in this adaptive planning and exploring uh, adaptation pathways. For example, I advised um, local government on uh, transport, and we are talking with the city of Rotterdam for their adaptive uh, plan and exploring pathways to uh, adapt to sea level rise. I have colleagues at uh, Delft University that look at energy also and energy transition. It's not related to water management, but a lot of the uh, applications that exist are still on water management. For our listeners who haven't heard of adaptation pathways, it might be helpful to think about it with a visual representation. Picture a map with multiple overlapping routes. Each one is a different color. At certain points along the journey, these paths intersect and you can change the route you're on. If that sounds vaguely familiar to some of you, especially those of you in cities, there's a reason for that. We were told that Marialine drew some of her inspiration from seeing the London Metro map. We asked her to tell us a little bit about this visualization of adaptation pathways. Oh, (laughs) well, before we came up with this idea of of, uh, visualizing our adaptation plans in metro maps. I, I made maybe even 50 versions of these maps with decision trees, uh, yeah, all kinds of uh, examples, And but, but we were never satisfied. I ended up seeing the London subway map and I thought, yeah, this is a nice, it's a very good uh, illustration because people, it's known all, uh, all over the world and people yeah, know how to use it. But yeah, it, there's also, it's a nice colorful map. It, there's also some disadvantages of that because some people find it too uh, strict. It's a from A to B, but while in reality, there's no strict tipping point and there's it, there's no direct line. It's, it's more curvy on how you go in reality. So some people prefer a more sketchy kind of visualization. Uh, I think ours is really works well for policy analysts, and that's kind of really and 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 less for more people that are used for more storylines and more descriptive. And even if they think it's it's too strict, I'd argue that half or most of the value comes from just taking the time to think about it. You know, to try to have some foresight and and consider a number of options. So it's not just about a clean switch from action A to action B, but it's about, you know, just realizing that there's more than one possible future out there and you want to have a set of options to go between and kind of weighing the pros and cons in this planning process so that you can make informed decisions in 10 years or 20 years whenever some sort of trigger pops up. We shouldn't forget this is not the end point of the plan that you make. It's only to support and then, like you say, to show the options and to show path dependency of your options. And then you decide on your short-term actions and your long-term options. And then 
in reality it always be different yeah it's always different because the future is always different than we uh, than we anticipated we're talking about planning for for not just now and not for the short term but we're talking about a lot of these long-lived pieces of infrastructure and, and investments that you know, might mature over decades or, or a century. Hydropower comes to mind for, for some of this. But how has your work kind of represented this new paradigm, I guess, a sort of a new synthesis of, of how to sustain water resources over this really long period instead of very short term? I guess it helped in a kind of a mind shift in thinking of this stage decision making. And if you can unravel your plan, and kind of what to do now and options for the future. It also makes it easier to think about long-term planning because then it's not that far away. You kind of bring this far away future to what would that mean for what I can do now. This adaptation pathways approach helped a bit in this mi- this mind shift from yeah exploring the future, acknowledging that it is uncertain that there are ways to deal with this uncertainty and to think about the consequences for what we can do now and what could be a, a no regret uh, option um, in the present situation. I wanted to wrap up by talking about another effort you're involved in, the Society for Decision-Making Under Deep Uncertainty. Can you tell us a little bit about what this group does, what it hopes to accomplish, and how our listeners could get involved? The Society for Decision-Making Under Deep Uncertainty is a very uh, young society. So I think we exist now for two or three years with about 400 uh, members. The the main aim is to exchange experiences, methods, applications uh, for decision-making under deep uncertainty. So that's water um, uh, management related, but doesn't have to be. So there's people that work on defense, people, people that work on uh, transport, uh, energy, all these different uh, applications. Uh, there's a lot of researchers involved, but also practitioners. So moving from theory on decision-making on uncertainty to applying these, decision, these approaches so we can help decision-makers to make yeah, robust and flexible decisions while still acknowledging these uncertainties about the future, about the system. There's a website, www.deepuncertainty.org, and at the website you can become a member as well. And then there is an email group, uh, we have newsletters, um, there's also uh, publication updates. It's nice to to meet up with with people working on the same method and to really improve your approach, learn how other countries from all over the world apply these approaches in other, also in other policy domains. In thinking back on what we just covered, it seems like adaptation pathways is a really novel and useful approach when it comes to water management planning. So often we think about infrastructure in terms of the space it occupies or how it interacts with the surrounding environment. This approach suggests that we pay just as much attention, if not more, to planning in terms of time and not just space. We need to think about a number of possible actions and how these paths relate to and depend upon each other. Let's think about alternatives and try not to get locked into one decision. It's a little scary to think about how much we don't know. The idea behind deep uncertainty is important to think about, but still troubling. 
It's not like we can avoid uncertainty. We face the daunting task of having to make these long-lived, high-impact decisions despite not knowing exactly what the future holds. It's not just climate change either. Demographic, economic, urbanization, shifts, these are all factors that will influence planning and management of water resources. I guess that's why I was a bit reassured at the end uh, to learn more about the Society for Decision-Making Under Deep Uncertainty that Marieline mentioned. This group of experts, researchers, and planners are out there pushing the envelope in terms of creating more efficient and reliable ways to make decisions in the face of uncertainty. We tend to focus on the water management side of climate adaptation, but I think that Adaptation Pathways has implications beyond just our field. I'll be interested to follow its evolution as more people in a growing number of fields put this idea into practice. That's all for our show today. We'd like to again thank our guest, Dr. Mario Line-Hasnote, for joining us. Don't forget that you can learn more about Adaptation Pathways at www.aguaguide.org. If you want to find out more on the Society for Decision-Making Under Deep Uncertainty, visit www.deepuncertainty.org. Thanks again for joining us and stay tuned for future episodes of the Climate Ready Podcast. Do you want to learn more about a specific topic related to climate change adaptation? Is there a burning question that you'd like to have answered? We'd love to hear from you, the listeners. Send us your questions and we'll feature them in our upcoming guest interviews. Visit aguaguide.org slash climate ready. That's aguaguide.org slash climate ready to submit your questions, comments, or feedback. 